0: I think the most important thing about subscriptions or at least the biggest question we get is marketing or subscription, which makes sense. It feels a little bit sad to spend all this time creating something and then have no one inside of it and not (laughs) making any money. So today we're gonna be talking about like the real (laughs) root of probably what all of you are thinking about when starting a subscription, which is like, how am I going to make money from this? Like how actually will I get my readers to pay from this? I want to start it off just by asking you, Amelia, if you had to describe the reader journey that happens in your subscription for someone to get to your subscription, what does that look like if you had to map it out?
1: Yeah, so I'll preface that by saying that there's two main models or business models for subscriptions, at least for authors right now, and that is doing early access and bonus content. And I do early access and the kind of like reader journey is they start reading for free on either through my newsletter or through a free platform called Wattpad. I use a couple others as well, but Wattpad is my main platform that I use. And they'll read the chapter, get to a cliffhanger, and then I'll basically say, hey, if you want to read the next chapter, you could come over to my subscription. And that's kind of like the journey from where they start reading to where they get to the subscription aspect of it for me and for most people who do early access.
0: Okay. That makes sense. I think we'll definitely cover this as we go through it, that the business model that you have overall for like overall author business does affect how you will market your subscription and where you will market it. And also probably connect to what you're offering in your subscription. So you'll notice that we're not going to give like a step-by-step, this is the formula to marketing your subscription because The beauty of subscriptions is that we all can have different things going on, Mm -hmm. but that does make at least the marketing kind of fall into these different paths. But let's talk about early access first, because this is one that a model that a lot of people do. And what would you say are some best practices for marketing a subscription if you're coming from the world of serial fiction and you want to provide early access?
1: Definitely a cliffhanger. So one of the best like practices is giving your Chapters away for free. And that might seem like counterintuitive, like you want people to join your subscription where they're reading monthly and paying monthly. But it's really helped a lot of authors, especially on Royal Road with the RPG. They give their chapters away for free to a huge audience, and a portion of that audience pays to read early access to those chapters. So giving it away for free, at least for romance, author notes work very well on Wattpad, I've found. And then also communicating with your readers and responding to them and letting them know where they can read the next chapter. I feel like that's a a huge one because a lot of people will sometimes read my author's note and be like, hey, you said I could read early access in this specific place, but can you give us a link? That's something else kind of big that you want to just be aware of and just making sure you make the transition as easy as possible.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You're basically trying to like feed people in because the main benefit you're giving when you're providing early access is early access. So to want yeah. early access to something, they have to first want the thing. And yeah. the best way to give that or to create that kind of desire for your stories is to start f- oh, kind oh, of drip shit. feeding. Yes. Yeah. I like yeah. that. So what would you say, because well, let's say we have this early access serial fiction model. And if I had to guess like around, maybe half to s- a little bit more, like maybe a majority, 60% of authors in subscriptions are using this model. But then there's mm-hmm. plenty, and especially lots of new authors who are entering subscriptions who are not using this model. What do you think coming from the world of, let's say, Kindle Unlimited or ebook retailers, that's where the majority of your readers come from. You're not publishing serial fiction. What do you see those authors typically providing in part of their subscription? And what do you think is different about marketing that kind of subscription?
1: A lot of people who are in KU who want to just not do early access at all and want to do mostly bonus content, they're offering, at least in romance, they're offering a lot of artwork or not safe for work art pieces, merch as well. And they market a lot different because they have a physical good. So they have a lot of back end stuff that they have to do in order to like get the artwork so they have to find an artist they have to collaborate with that artist print the workouts but they also market different because they're not giving any free chapters away it's mostly like hey you read this book you love this book here's artwork from this book so they have to market to their audience that they already have for the most part and when I say that it's like people who have already read your book And a lot of times, especially if you're doing artwork, people will promote on Instagram, which is huge. Instagram, like posts or reels or even TikTok. That's what I've seen, at least.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I think you're kind of hitting us the key that I'm seeing for both these models that I think is good for people to keep in mind, which is that when you're marketing a subscription, it's a bit different, but this is so like fundamental in everything you do. That subscriptions are less based off of a single transaction it's mm-hmm. literally recurring payment so a lot of it's based off of trust and yes how you market your subscription is oftentimes by fostering trust in your reader yeah. and I'm curious for you Amelia, what you would say has worked for you in being able to foster trust with readers on your subscription and even off your subscription just in the broader world of Amelia's stories.
1: One of the big things is just showing up consistently. People really appreciate that. And they also appreciate that I like respond back to them when they comment on things. I think those are the two big ways that I gain people's trust, especially being consistent, because the worst thing ever is like you join a subscription to somebody who says they're going to update once a week and they don't even update once a month. And that was me. That was actually me in my previous subscription under my real name because I just like didn't like, like writing the content anymore. And so I was falling behind and people were leaving. And that was one of the big reasons why it did fail. Or I say it fails. But yeah, I hope that answered your question.
0: No, it definitely does. I think that hits like a key point that I know you've shared plenty of times, but we should remind everyone, Under promise, over deliver is great advice in business in general, but it's especially good advice when you're trying to cultivate, you know, specifically trust with an audience that you want to be there for an extended period of time, because this kind of goes into one of the big like framework advices I want to kind of give to some of y'all out there who are listening, because you might be not selling on an ebook retailer. You might not be doing serial fiction. You might have like your own unique situation, which is amazing. And. We're not saying subscriptions can't work for you. Subscriptions can really work, but in order to make them work, I think you have to ask yourself a few key questions just before you get into marketing, trying to make that marketing plan as boring as that could be. It's, it's very important and essential. And I would say that you have to figure out before you launch, right? Before you maybe even set up your subscription, where do you have connections To your readers.
1: I always tell people who want to start subscriptions don't market on social media. And I say that because a lot of people, it it depends on the social media platform, but a lot of people aren't connected as connected to their audience on social media compared to maybe a newsletter where they can have direct access to them. And social media, it's really hard for people who are doing early access to promote there. Because early access is you give chapters away for free and people read the chapters and get invested in your stories and want to read more. And so that's why marketing on like social media for like artwork for people who already have huge fandoms or who are connected really, really well on social media. That's why they market there and they do really well marketing there.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a huge, like great insight because a lot of times I see people be like, oh, well, should I post this on Instagram? And it's like, well, how not how many followers do you have on Instagram? Because that's the wrong question. Because I see a lot of yeah. people go, I have a thousand followers on Instagram, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves, where did you get those thousand followers? Were they like in follow for follow loops with like fellow authors? That's totally cool. But that's also not like your your readers, your audience all the time. Some authors really could be your readers and that's mm-hmm. beautiful and awesome. But a lot of times I've seen, follower counts aren't always representative of actual connection. So email lists could be more representative, but I also want to add a caveat to that in the sense that I'm not saying don't contact your email list, but when trying to bake in your expectations of what can an email list do, if you've gotten 10,000 subscribers, which sounds so awesome, and it is awesome, but if they're all from like book funnel or promos and, and swaps and things like that, those will be less high quality, less intent subscribers on average than people who are probably from elsewhere. So that doesn't mean it's a bad thing to have people. like it's a good thing, but I think then before you hand someone your subscription, like, hey, I know you're a stranger to me. I don't even know you, and you're just on my Instagram profile. It's better to think about how can you begin to cultivate a relationship with them so that then they might be answering your subscription because asking someone up front who isn't really familiar with your work, but you just can reach to start paying you monthly is probably not something if we put ourselves into the shoes of a reader that we'd all be interested in doing as readers.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And the hard work, like the spade work. And I think this is where the tough reality comes about subscriptions. We see authors blow up overnight, or at least that's what we always hope for and think on count unlimited on these serial fiction platforms and that's great but subscriptions is something that comes a little bit after that because yeah if there was an easy way to like game a subscription and get a ton of people to trust you and just hand over their credit cards start paying you monthly i mean i think people would be doing that rather than just selling books one off if that was possible because that's a way better business model but the problem is there isn't really an easy way to do that and this comes back to thing: there's not really an easy way to have a long-term career as an author. You have to do the hard work to build relationships with your readers. And a lot of times authors think subscriptions might take a lot of my time. But Pia Foxhole, actually, who's an incredible author who built a following on AO3 and other kind of fan fiction platforms, and now for her original fiction, has a really immense following on her subscription. I think somewhere around like $800 per chapter last time I checked. She's doing great and huge accomplishment. Wonderful human being. She posted in the Facebook group just this week, which reminded me of this, that what people sometimes don't understand about like promoting a subscription is that not all of the time like of actually managing a subscription is actually inside of the subscription itself. Meaning that a lot of times managing a subscription is managing your relationships with your readers, which might be you're interacting with them in Instagram DMs over email that you are connecting with them, the comment section of your serial fiction on Wattpad. But doing that work building those real relationships is what creates a community and is yeah. what makes a successful subscription.
1: I actually agree with I didn't see she posted that but I agree with that. Like the majority of my time that I spend is not actually creating like the subscription or dealing with like people or like comments or oh, uploading my chapters. That is a big portion of it but like the biggest portion and the most like valuable portion of creating a subscription and creating a community of readers who want to be in your subscription is that that other work like D, like you said dming i spent a lot of time on wattpad responding to comments responding to comments on radish and so i really love that
0: she's amazing honestly yeah I, one big reason to join the facebook group if you're not in it is that me and amelia know, know a few things amelia knows a lot of things about subscriptions but i will say there's people in the group who have incredible insights and are beyond generous in sharing it. And of course, joining the Facebook group is completely for free. So you can check that out in the link in the description. It's like facebook.com slash subscriptions for authors. But enough of that. Pia, you're wonderful. I hope you are listening to this. If you're not, you're still wonderful. But (laughs) when it comes to building those relationships, because now we're we're talking about relational marketing, what is your advice to someone like building relationships, the readers, especially I want to first talk about this scenario where, and I've seen this really often, where if readers are commenting on your Wattpad, they are emailing you, then it's like, okay, I'll just email them back and you could have that conversation. And that, I'm not saying isn't hard, but I feel like that's a bit of an easier problem to solve. The harder problem to solve, the one I see a lot of authors have is, oh, I have 2,000 people on mailing list but no one responds to my emails. Like they open it, but they don't respond. I don't actually get interaction with my readers. I might be getting page reads. People might be buying my books, but I'm not getting anything outside of a few Goodreads reviews, which you probably shouldn't be responding to Goodreads reviews, people. That's not the best idea. So when it comes to actual engagement and conversation with your readers, if that's not naturally happening already, how do you begin to like foster and nurture that?
1: I think you, like, What I've seen, at least for me, and I know like other people we've talked to have also mentioned this. It's a lot of you have to start it yourself. So if people Mm -hmm. aren't engaging with you in your newsletter, ask them to engage with you. Ask them to email you back and tell you what they thought of something that happened. I know. I know like that's why author's notes do so well on WebHad is like you're literally talking to your readers at the end of every chapter. And you're like, hey. So, I just wrote this chapter. What did you think of it? Please let me know and I'll respond to you. If you liked it, just leave an emoji. Like, it's super simple. Just one little emoji. Let me know what you think. And once you start getting people to respond a little bit to you, then they'll start like responding. Like, if you're posting on serial platform, they'll start posting or commenting throughout all of your chapters because they feel comfortable in your community and they feel comfortable talking to you. And then once they feel comfortable talking to you, they'll feel comfortable talking to other readers
0: in your community as well. And it's a virtuous cycle because once yeah. that starts to happen and other readers who might not be as comfortable yet start to see that, then yeah. it's like, oh, it's easier for them to join in. And the more and more conversation that's happening, the less friction there is for someone else to participate. But in the beginning, it's like breaking like a glacier, not just breaking yeah. ice, it's like breaking a glacier. So I know it's difficult, but I've had this kind of problem myself because I nurtured an audience of readers on my newsletter that basically just bought my books. And it was about 200 people who were from the back of my books. And they were, I had like maybe two or three who would like regularly contact me, which of course, like, I love you. I know them by name. I I feel like I know their life stories, which is always nice. But having a relationship with two or three readers, which a lot of people might be listening in that situation, that's like cool, but that's not like what I was totally looking for. I wanted to have a relationship with more readers. So- What I did about two weeks ago is I sent out a newsletter because people might be thinking, well, I'm not on Wattpad, I can't do author's notes, but you actually can. So I sent out chapter one of a new book that I was writing called The Lost Ones. And literally like there was nothing but just the description I wrote before it. And then like the thing, there was no fancy graphics, no cover, I don't have time for that. Like literally don't have time. So I just was like, let's copy and paste this in, cool. And then in the end, I said, if you liked reading this, please respond and let me know and I'll send you the next chapter. It was that simple. And I got like seven or eight responses from that, which for me was like more than I've ever had in an email. So I was like, wow. And then to continue this experiment, because I'm just experimenting for the sake of y'all at this point. I then said, (laughs) let me not do an author's note at the end of the next chapter that I follow up with them with. Let me not do one. I'm just going to say, hey, thank you for reading this. I'll send you chapters in the future. I didn't actually prompt them to connect. I got zero responses. Well, actually, I got one, but that was like from one of those existing fans who like always respond. I'm like, whoa, like that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that was the difference. This isn't It's a small experiment, everyone, but I've, it maybe made it.
1: Yeah, I've actually seen this, too, because for a while I was just super busy and I wasn't even writing author's notes on my Wattpad. I was just like, I'm just going to post a chapter and, and just leave. But then I realized like engagement dropped so much and I mm. wasn't getting any comments on my chapters. And so recently I've been like every day I write an author's sto, I force myself to do it just even if it's something small. And I've noticed that people have started commenting a lot more with each other and just with like the chapter and me. So it's been really cool.
0: It's, it's funny because it's like the culture of reading was never that you could actually connect with the author. We were some of the most distant creative people. Like you didn't know anything about the author, you couldn't see them, and readers wanted to connect with the author, but maybe you sent in fan mail, and maybe they responded like a year later, which is nothing wrong with that. There's authors who, Brandon Sanderson, for instance, like he physically cannot respond to all of his comments, but I understand that. And there's plenty of authors who might be listening who are far advanced their career. They have hundreds of comments a day, Maybe this advice isn't completely tailored to you, but if you're not like completely overwhelmed, which most people listening, like me, you're probably not completely overwhelmed with comments. Responding and engaging people is something that can make a huge difference in your career because, when thinking about a subscription, one thing that people always, I feel like, maybe don't fully embrace is that subscriptions are not just packaging your books in a different way and then getting people to pay for it. That. Is not something as a reader I would find very enticing. For me, as a reader, and it's most important to think of yourself as a reader first rather than an author sometimes, as a reader, I want to know that I'm getting additional value for that. So early access is something that can be a piece of that. But as you think about it over the long time haul, as you start to write different books and create different series, early access can get someone in the door, but early access might not be what keeps someone there. It has to be something else. And that to me, I love being connected in a community that I feel I have belonging in and can make like friends in. It's like actually difficult to like make friends in the real world. I don't have too many. Most of my friends exist on online community areas and I'm not unique in that. And I think if you can provide that space of belonging to your readers, a space where they feel heard, they feel special, not just like another widget being pumped out to them, that's a completely different experience than you get in an ebook retailer. That's a completely different experience than you get in most places. And not to keep this rant going, but to keep this rant going, I've read a really good article about Barnes & Noble. And Barnes & Noble, everyone, is growing. They're opening 30 stores next year across the United States. Insane. They were about to go bankrupt in 2019. People thought, wow, it's going to go out of business. And Their CEO, he actually opened a very famous bookstore at 26 in London called Daunt Books or Dauntless Books. I forgot the exact name. I went there when I was in London. It's beautiful. I didn't realize he was the CEO of Barnes & Noble who started this. So he became the CEO of Waterstones. And this is what he did. He stopped accepting any promotional money from publishers at Waterstones. And that's a huge revenue stream for these bookstores. He said, nope, we're not having you pay for placement in the front of the store because oftentimes these publishers would force books onto readers that they didn't want. Instead, he let readers pick the individual bookstore owners in their local neighborhoods, pick what authors and what books they want to display, no payment for any of it, and empowered again, let's do what's best for the reader. And Waterstones turned around. He did the same thing at Barnes & Noble starting during the pandemic. He got hired at Barnes & Noble basically in 20, 18 going into 2019, pandemic hits. And they opened up about a dozen stores in 2022, which we're recording it like the last day of 2022. And if you're listening in 2023, which is when this will release, they're about to open 30 stores this year because he did the same model at Barnes & Noble. Let's take away the promotional space. Let's focus on uplifting individual booksellers who are super passionate about the reader experience. They also stopped doing, and I remember this, they used to do like a buy two books, get one free sort of, giveaway. That was a big thing at Barnes & Noble. I remember doing that a lot as a kid. Well, they stopped that because he said, by giving discounts, we actually devalue books. And Mm. he didn't want to do that because he already thought that books were cheaply enough priced. There's no reason to devalue it further. And I'm not saying he's right about everything, but I also am saying he's doing a lot right. And I think there's something to learn for in that if Barnes & Noble, an archaic, you know, bookstore chain that we all thought was going to fall apart is at the moment seeing a revitalation just because they're focusing on the individual reader and making their life better and not by providing endless discounts, not by ripping them off either, but just by making their day and experience better. If that's not hopeful, I don't know what is because that gave me a lot of hope.
1: I love that. I think that's amazing, actually.
0: It's really, really interesting. And he said the superpower is loving books. And yeah. loving readers. There's nothing. There's no other secret. And I think that when it comes to like subscriptions and relational marketing, the beauty of it is that it takes the algorithm out of the equation. Algorithms are supposed to mimic human behavior, but as authors, we get so caught up in talking about this algorithm and focusing on these algorithms. But in reality, all that really matters the other day is the reader. We're not going to make it unless we focus on the reader.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's actually one of the reasons why I've. Sh- I always talked about it in one of the podcasts previous, but I'm shifting like my whole like outlook and whole all of my goals to I don't care about how much money I'm making after I like am able to make a decent amount to like support myself and my family. But I want to focus a lot on just the reader experience because it's so important just to have those connections is like incredible. Just even moving forward, like goals might change in the future and you might want to like start thinking about numbers more often again. But if you can have that solid base of readership that you are constantly connecting with, it's going to be super helpful for you.
0: Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. And I think this is all a really good foundation to talk about what I'm going to call five stages to subscription marketing. And I don't know if this will be useful to people. I hope it is. But I want to start to divide because this is a lot to think about everything with your subscription from day zero before you've launched to post-launch and how you continue growing it and divide this into five phases. So I'll just share the five phases off the top and then we'll individually kind of analyze and talk about each one. But the five phases I have are the pre-launch, the beta launch, the hard launch, post-launch marketing, and then marketing to subscribers, which that's a lot. So let's just dive in and talk about pre-launch. Marketing, the pre launch. So, we talked about this earlier in terms of like where your connections are to your readers, but this is a lot of beginning to what is oftentimes in business called like demand validation. So, you wanted to see, is there something that readers want here? And at the same time, to do that, you need to know where to connect with your potential future members. Because remember, for pre launch marketing, it's pre launch. You probably haven't launched your subscription yet. So, Like we mentioned earlier, I think this is really key. You have to draw out a map of where your connections are to your readers. And I don't mean this like, oh, I have a thousand powers on this platform. I mean, where does your warm audience and super fans exist? And where does your cold audience exist? And each channel, each marketing channel, Facebook, Instagram, your newsletter list probably has different percentages of each one, but it actually go through and try and map it out. Like my mailing list contains maybe 20% of a warm audience, 10% are my super fans and 80% or more of a cold audience. And maybe your Instagram only has a few of your warm audience and a lot of people who are a cold audience. I know this is all like guessing, but oftentimes all this is just educated guesses in terms of being able to reflect on where these sort of things lie. So when you map out where these connections are, my first thing would be to ask your readers what you're thinking about for your subscription, if that's something they would be interested.
1: Yes. Yeah. I completely agree.
0: If you're in the serial fiction world, I don't want to say it's a bit easier, but I think that if you haven't built an audience yet, if you're going, wait, I don't have readers. One thing to think about the subscription is that this is like an asset. It literally is an asset because your books, your IP have assets. It is an asset that could be potentially bought one day If you had an estate and you're going to the story world forever, sad day, but thinking long-term like that, your subscription also is an asset that makes recurring revenue and recurring revenue as an asset is valued at a premium compared to any other business revenue stream because it's recurring revenue. That's a nice thing. And when it comes to building this asset of your subscription, that isn't just monetary value, but is also this incredible space of experience that's. Able to be translated to that monetary value, you have to think about. Okay, maybe on day one, if I'm starting Serial Fiction, I'm going to launch my subscription just to have it there, so that that asset can begin building value. But it's like having a plot of land and in a theme park that no one comes to at first, which is yeah. totally okay. But you have to expect that and not go in with the expectation then that if you don't have readers, you're going to start your subscription and magically have a thousand readers in your subscription.
1: Yeah, I was actually talking to somebody who asked me a very similar question, whether they should start their subscription now when they don't have anyone or later on. And I was like, you should start. You should probably start it now just so like you start getting comfortable with being consistent on this platform. And when people come to your subscription and think about subscribing, they'll see that you were consistent over like even if it was like a few months, you're publishing a few months worth of content Consistently and they're gonna trust you. They're gonna be like, okay, so she's done this for the past three months and she hasn't had many people on her subscription. I know she's going to do it this month and next month and the month after.
0: That's that's great insight. And I also think as well, and I know you face this yourself, that when you start to get those first people in, which if especially we're talking about the world of serial fiction at the moment, if they're coming in from your stories and getting through chapter by chapter, seeing your calls to action at the end of the chapters to go read ahead. Then they finally get to the last chapter of your book and are like, hey, maybe I will subscribe. And you already have it ready for them. When those first people come in, you have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to build an incredible relationship with them that would be basically impossible to do at scale. I think it's a number, it's like 150 people is the max that we're able to have a relationship with at once. That number has been debated a lot by sociologists. So take it with a grain of salt. But the point is, if you have a thousand readers, you're not going to be able to have the same kind of relationship with them where if you had 10, you could have very close relationship with your first 10 readers and basically convert them to be like super fans for life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. Once you get to a level that you have thousands of people on your subscription, it does take a long time either a longer time and it's much harder and that's why i always like tell people they're always looking for like how do i get more more people into my subscription how do i just like get more people into my interested in my work and i just like i'm so envious of people who don't have that many people on their subscription it sounds so crazy but like i can't connect with as many people on a deeper level like as many of my readers as they can they can individually talk to people and have a conversation and learn about them and that's what i used to love when i started but now i'm just like i have so much to do i don't have time to make those connections as deep anymore and it, it kind of yeah. makes me sad but yeah
0: yeah no i i understand that but the beauty of it though is if you get to that point you've now built a lot of relationships with those core readers that they can yeah. be the ones who build relationships with new readers so it's not that it, it's not that it's more a disadvantage to to your subscription than it can be just a disadvantage to in general. But if you yeah. have a thousand people coming on to a subscription who you've never built a relationship with, so you're a big author who has a big existing audience, and a big mailing list, and are going to launch a subscription, that's a completely different kind of, I don't want to say problem, but a different kind of situation yeah. that is worth addressing because if you maybe don't have those existing core deep relationships with those core people, but then you're also looking to launch a subscription. I actually would pause for a second. And when we're doing this pre-launch marketing, try and actually build a closer relationship with the people who respond positively. Because if you're like doing a survey to a mailing list of like 50,000 people, and I know I'm not talking to everyone who's listening to this podcast, but I do know a few people listening are very successful authors, and I'm very proud of you. That's amazing. I hope we can help you be more successful. So, if you have 50,000 subscribers on your mailing list, again, you're not in the world of serial fiction, you haven't started a subscription yet, you're going to be starting a subscription, and maybe you generate a lot of your readers from Kindle Unlimited or ebook retailers or the world of traditional publishing, wherever these readers come from, and you can contact them now. This is great. But now you kind of have the situation where it's like, how do I build a healthy community, build relationships with people at scale when that foundation maybe wasn't there in the way that maybe would be most beneficial for your membership. That isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying you did anything wrong, but let's now help you do better. So my advice, and I want to hear your advice, Amelia. If I had 50,000 years on a mailing list, I would take the people who respond to my survey asking, hey, I'm thinking about launching a membership. If y'all would want to be, wanna, wanna be part of it, I was thinking about like these rewards, pick your top one that you would consider. And maybe you have like five options. I would take the people who respond to that, I would individually email them and ask them to join a call with me. If you're comfortable with that. If not, you could just email them very personally, like not like a template email, I email them personally back and start to spark that conversation because this person now is basically self-elected. They just wanna support you more. Like because they have an opportunity to support you more, they wanna do that. This is not a proven thing yet that your subscription works or they don't even really know what the benefit is outside of just words. So the fact that they're excited shows you that, oh, this person already like feels a close connection to me. And now if you can build that connection deeper with them, those are the people that you can then move into the beta launch phase, which we'll talk about that's the second phase. But Amelia, what what would be your advice to someone in that position who has a big audience and is at this pre-launch phase and doesn't quite maybe have that baseline super fans, those people that are in their Discord DMs or their Facebook DMs all the time? What would be your advice to them?
1: I don't. Personally, I don't like being on calls. to people. No, like like a lot of people. I And if I'm hosting it, I, I get nervous. So I understand yeah. if a lot of people wouldn't want to do something like that. But I do like what you mentioned is ca- contacting the people who responded in your poll or responded posi- positively to you starting a subscription and just connecting with them. It could be like in a Facebook group if that's where most of them are or just like in an email thread those are really amazing places to just start that conversation and kind of have like those core fans be the people who are going to be in your subscription but also like promote your subscription as well
0: i think that's i think it's amazing insights and i think that once you have this kind of pre-launch phase so if you're Starting without a readership, your pre launch phase is a little bit more simple. It's let's go and get this thing started with the expectation that I will maintain consistency with my early access, assuming you're coming from the world of serial fiction. And as people come in, we'll talk later about onboarding. But now let's talk about the beta launch for people, again, with an existing audience who are looking to launch a subscription. You have these people who have now responded in your pre launch who are interested in specific things in your subscription, and you're saying, I'm going to launch it. But Beta launching isn't then letting everyone know about it. Beta launch is saying, okay, I had 10,000 people on my mailing list. I had 100 people respond to my survey and 20 seem to be interested. So I'm going to email these 20 people and maybe five or 10 of them actually join. And I'm just going to open it up to them. I'm going to tell them we're going to keep this secret for now. And during this time, you'll keep it small, teach them the software, ask them how it's going. and." try and, again, build these closer relationships to your readers and a closer idea of, like, what do they really want in this subscription? That would be my idea for what a good beta launch would look like. I'm curious what you think what a good beta launch would look like.
1: Yeah, so that's actually a good question because one of the ways I work is I don't do anything in the beta phase. I just, like, I put it out there and tell everyone and just hope people join. I'm pretty bad at planning, but that's actually one of the things I'm planning on doing when I start to bring people over to Ream. as I'm going to have a couple of my closest super fans, people who I really trust, join the platform first and not tell anyone really about it in the first couple of weeks and just see how they like it and basically tell me what they like in what I'm going to be offering, like as an additional benefit for my subscription on Ream and what they might want to see change and just a bunch of smaller stuff. So basically, I, I agree with everything you you said.
0: That's a good idea, though. You don't need to do a beta launch. I'm trying to help people give you all the different ideas that you possibly yeah. could need to then try and figure out what works best for you. So when it comes to a beta launch, first of all, if you don't have an existing big audience, there's not much a reason to do a beta launch. Yeah. But when talking to authors, and we've talked to quite a few who, again, want to launch a subscription who have maybe they're already making a full time income as an author in selling ebooks a la carte and audiobooks, all the other revenue streams you could have. Now you want to start a subscription. I think it is worthwhile before pressing full send, maybe potentially saying, let me see how this is working for a small group of people. But you don't have to do that because at the end of the day, the beauty of your subscription, and this is where we get into the launch phase, is that the launch phase is. Less important than you think.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I'll just say this. I've been launching a few subscriptions going into 2023 um, in different aspects. And launching, at least for me, is just like another day. I'm telling people that I have this subscription. It could be like physical goods or stickers. I'm telling them and I'm gathering a few people at first. But launch isn't as important as a launch like for a book. It's like you're promoting it throughout the entirety of your subscription. You're going to say like, hey, you can always like come over and join my subscription. Each month I give you two stickers if you join. Yeah. Come over. You get five chapters every month. And it's not just like something like this big thing that has to happen that will shoot you to like the top of any subscription platforms, algorithms. It's something that consistently you have to market, which Going back to what you said, launch isn't as important as people think it is.
0: It's interesting because I've been recently reading a lot of books about helping mainly like technology companies, Fortune 500 companies. And some of it's focused on also solopreneurs and artists transitioning from, we'll say, a transactional model to a subscription model. And studying how like companies like Adobe have done this because now a lot of authors might be using the Adobe suite for something. I know I have Photoshop. I Photoshop every single thumbnail you see me and Amelia in. I'm kidding, that's not true. (laughs) But I do have Photoshop. I have some other things in their suite. And they are subscription-based. So you can't, at the moment, really buy 2022's Photoshop. They'll come out with a new version each year and it's just automatically updated and you're paying it either yearly or monthly for access to that. And it exists in the cloud, which is what has also... That cloud, the nebulous term, has been what's kind of started a lot of the subscription economy. The idea that people can store access to things without ownership in the digital spaces and servers that are cheap and scalable has changed how everything works. Like every company, even like what you as an author, we talk about like ownership online. But as an author, you don't like own anything, and that sounds terrible. But like. When you're using software that software companies, even if you bought a license to it, are likely utilizing other programs whether they're open source, or whether they're paid for subscription or they're paying to be subscription on a server somewhere to store your data. That's all part of this grand subscription economy. Like we're so embedded into the subscription economy that it's almost impossible to get at it. And when thinking about consumer subscriptions, how to translate a company that's been doing a transactional way marketing into subscription marketing, the biggest thing that I've seen is that you have to communicate very clearly with your readers because that is the biggest thing people sometimes get thrown off. They always, people always have the instinct of, are they trying to rip me off? Which is natural. We've all been thrown into that, okay, this company wants to make money from me. Your readers might not necessarily think that about you. But if we think about the music industry, because this is now bringing in another another rant, but It's important. Ticketmaster. So we all know about the debacle they have with Taylor Swift. But there's something important about Ticketmaster that we don't always talk about. That's not like their ability to glitch and things like that. It's that Ticketmaster basically serves as the PR dumpster fire for artists, for them to offload their idea that they might be kind of ripping off their fans sometimes. Here's what I mean. When Taylor Swift is playing in one city, only time she'll ever do that specific performance any traditional like economic way to value that of supply versus demand the value you get from it goes out the window it's completely based off emotions so what is taylor swift's ticket really really worth it's what anyone's willing to pay but people are willing to pay basically unlimited amounts of money so taylor swift actually grossly underprices her tickets grossly underprices her tickets but I'm not saying this about Taylor Swift because I don't know the deals that she makes in the back end. But what Ticketmaster does is they allow people, these farms, like literally like equity funds to buy up tickets in mass and then resell them. And artists get a chunk of that profit. So they might get 20% of the resold tickets values that'll go for 3X, 4X what they were at the actual sale because everything's artificially constrained because for these big artists, the stadiums are not even big enough to fit them. I'm. I'm not trying to say that this is necessarily wrong. Like, I want artists to make money. But at the same time, it is is—it is this really interesting game of playing with people's emotions and then ultimately Ticketmaster sitting there being the one who is saying, fans get angry at us for these high ticket prices and the scalping that goes on. Don't get mad at the artist because it's not the artist's fault. But it's kind of genius because the artist benefits from it, which is why the whole industry is okay with it. And fans ultimately, I'm not saying are co- completely and totally screwed, but if there was a cautionary tale, maybe don't try and make yourself completely like Ticketmaster. You don't want fans to feel a sour taste in your mouth of your subscription because it's like, yeah, I am willing to pay anything for your subscription, but like a thousand bucks a month for a subscription that's early access. Like there's reasons why you see most authors pricing lower than that, even though some readers probably will pay you that much. This is also why some authors have higher tiers. I promise we're getting something good. So there's this podcast called Breaking Points. We're bringing it all around here. So Breaking Points is run by Crystal Sagar and, oh my God, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting the other one's name. Oh no, it's Crystal. Ah, forgetting the co name. But Breaking Points. Here's the notes on this. They had 10,000 subscribers when they launched their subscription for their podcast in two days. 10,000. They broke away from traditional Washington media and created a community around basically like trying to be a bipartisan, middle-of-the-road media platform. That's really just a podcast of them too. It's grown a bit since then because they did have 10,000 subscribers. But what they did at launch was launch multiple tiers. And this is genius. And I think we're, we're getting to something useful in this. So they created a tier. It was called the Lifetime Tier. And you got lifetime access to the description at $1,500, which is a ton of money but they had cheaper tiers, right? So they had tiers at all these different price points. And this is the beauty of subscriptions that makes subscriptions better than concert tickets. So concert tickets, everyone basically has to pay the same for that one seat that's there. And it's this one overall experience that like, too bad, you snooze, you lose, you try and make it affordable to people, but you do leave people out. Your subscription, you can have lower price tiers that I'm not saying 99 cents, 99 cents is probably a bad idea for a host of reasons, but something in the 5 to $20 range that's a bit more accessible to people. But these higher price tiers, people will pay for it. Let me tell you exactly how much people paid for it. Out of the 10,000 people who subscribed, 2.5% 2. or 250 people paid for the lifetime tier in the first days of launch or gave them $1,500, mm. which means that they made $300,000 from selling lifetime access to subscriptions, which to, to get the math here even more, at launch, if everyone paid Monthly, right? 10,000 people paid monthly, you would have made like $5 a month, $50,000 at launch, cash flow coming in. But since they got 2.5%, just that 2.5% of people out of the 10,000 people to pay $1,500 for a lifetime, they made, in addition to all the other revenue they made, they also got $300,000 plus in cash upfront. That's really cool. So there's ways to see what Taylor Swift does, see what these Concerts are doing, see what other creators are doing, and apply to our subscription in terms of how we do our pricing. But what was all this supposed to say? What we were actually getting (laughs) back to, because I did go on a huge tangent, but I hope it was useful to people, is that we do obsess over the launch. But the biggest thing, although I love the the 10,000 subscriber in two day example, because it feels like super big, that's probably not going to be how your subscription goes. And for someone like a artist who's having concerts, that is a one-time event, but your subscription's not a one-time event. This is why you have so many advantages over musicians and other people who are trying to, again, create spaces that their super fans can be a part of and have better experiences. Your concert, your subscription is an iterative experience. It's not just one day event that all this pressure builds up to, and it it doesn't work. You're going to be out tons of money. Your record label is going to kill you and your career is over. With your subscription, Instead of the launch being what's valuable, it's constant iteration. And what you see with companies, big companies who've launched subscriptions, is that they oftentimes don't rip off the band-aid in one day. It'll be a slow transition into new benefits, into new tier pricing, into new models. So it's not like overnight shift. And they do this purposely because they know that it has to be an iterative model that they build trust in continuously and not this big, sexy launch. Totally antithetical to how transactional products work.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And that's what...
0: I'm sorry if that ran.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what I've seen a lot of people do. Even if they already have a big subscription, I do this as well. And I want to launch a new tier or a new benefit to a tier. I will tell everyone about it, but it's not, I don't push it. I see if people join the new tier or use the new benefit and I tweak it. And as The months go on and I feel finally comfortable with what I'm offering. I'll start pushing it out a lot more and be like, hey guys, so we're doing this now and this tier and here are the reasons why. And it's a lot more, like you were saying, getting people comfortable in certain tiers, certain benefits.
0: And when it comes to launching, because we already have so much on our plates as authors, my very simple advice is let your readers know that you've had existing connections to that you've hopefully mapped out as part of your pre-launch. But if you want to roll up the pre-launch into the launch, you just have to let your readers know who you already have relationships with and especially let the ones know that really like you. So if you have a Facebook group or a Discord server or anything like that, people who like are really connected to you, those are good people to let know about your subscription.
1: And a lot of times if you have really good connections with those readers... They'll go out and market your subscription for you at times. I've even seen one of my really good author friends, somebody posted in a well-known Facebook group and said, Hey, you can go to this author subscription and she offers this content that you guys are looking for. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's was, so cool. Going <laughs> yeah. And I think that another really interesting piece to this is that when you actually decide to come out your subscription. You don't have to forever have your tiers be the same, which is part of this iteration. So one thing you could do as well as part of your launch, it's a tactic that this is probably something better to do if you have an existing audience, but you could also do this if you don't have an existing audience to entice your first people to come in. It works either way. You can have a founding tier and you don't necessarily need to call it a founding tier, but like your early tier that maybe will be capped in terms of the number of members in it or you'll archive it after a certain period of time so that people who join in the first 30 days or so get certain benefits. And to my understanding, you're going to be doing this when you switch to REAM. Is that right, Amelia?
1: Yes, sort of. So yeah, I'm definitely archiving a couple tiers. I'm changing my benefits around a little bit in 2023, just in general, and I'm archiving certain benefits. And I've already archived my lowest tier that I wanted to archive. So I'm probably going to hold off on that but yeah it's a lot, a lot of tweaking and a lot of just offering new things when you think they're needed
0: it's something that's different because we're used to having one product as a book and maybe we'll go back out and make edits the books but i would think more of this like an amusement park and yeah. i've used this example before but imagine if disney never came out with any new rides they ever yeah. did anything it <laughs> It would be tough to get the same people coming back each year because for an experience, because we're part of the broader experience kind of economy, the experience movement of people wanting access to memories. Disney, if they get someone to come to the theme park once is great, but how Disney makes most of their money in the theme parks are people who will come back every single year. That's like, that's what they want. They want those super fans and they do that because, oh. And it's not like a crazy, like they opened up a grand new theme park. It's like, oh, Star Wars in the Star Wars section opened up a specific bar that's themed for this specific area of the world that you have to join. What is your equivalent of that? You are not Disney, but also Disney's a $250 billion company. So like, you don't have to be that big to be very successful. What is your version of over time? I'm opening up, you know, Java the Hut's bar. Like what, what would that equivalent be for your world or harry potter wands like people freaked out even when they had like their new beer i think like there was a harry potter alcoholic beverage in the park that people like really wanted to go back to and it's like they get out of the gates right you need to get people in the gates of your subscription somehow especially the fans who already like your ip who already are interested in your worlds this goes back to i think the biggest principle subscription marketing which is that oftentimes we always are finding new readers. We're obsessed with how do we find new people. But the part of a subscription, maybe the freeing part of it for some people, maybe the uncomfortable part about it for others is that it has this belief that your most important readers are the ones who already like your books, the people who are already paying you. Those are the most important customers you have.
1: I feel like a lot of people who do, at least I know early access and and I guess bonus content too, Those readers are readers who are invested in you and in your brand and in your stories and anything you write. And so you don't have to go out and constantly market and to to new people to get them to join. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's also way cheaper to keep someone happier and keep paying you monthly or annually rather than having to find a totally new person they have to go build that trust with to then replace someone who left your subscription the most important thing you could do is keep existing people there. Because if you have a system that does that, then the lifetime value of your reader becomes absurdly high. Like if your average reader stays in your subscription for let's say 24 months, and that doesn't count them buying your books elsewhere, that doesn't count all the other things that might might do to actually give you like tangible money. Because as much as we don't want to hyper-focus on numbers, numbers are important. If they're paying you $10 a month for you know, 18 months straight on average, that means like your average reader is going to generate you north of $150. That's pretty incredible. And in a short period of time too. I don't think that this is impossible. I We've heard stories of authors being able to make, you know, hundreds of dollars in average per readers and in subscriptions over the course of a year. So when you have that as your average value, we talk about read-through rates and Facebook ads. And my series is worth $17. So if I can have an ad that goes to that $10, I'll end up making money to acquire that reader. Your subscription adds so much more value to that, that no matter what else you're doing to market your books and market your brand becomes more profitable. And anything you're doing works more because you're feeding more people into the bigger flywheel that you have. So when it comes to actually marketing your subscription, the best thing you could do is make your existing people happy.
1: Yeah. And what's really great, I know we've probably said this multiple times, but what's really great about having a subscription is you have to provide content consistently, but you don't have to convince people to pay you every single month if they're on a subscription. If you're selling your books and you sell, like, and you release one a month, every single time you release, you have to convince your fans to buy that book. Like, go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble and physically purchase it again and again and again every single month, but it just happens kind of automatically through a subscription.
0: It's incredible. It's so cool. And honestly, to end this podcast off, because I know we've probably completely overwhelmed everyone, but that's a sign of a good podcast if it's like positive, overwhelming. I want to ask you, what would be something that you wish you did differently looking back when it comes to marketing your subscription? What's something you learned that you're now going to apply as you maybe begin marketing your new subscription that will be on Ream.
1: So for a while, I was caught up in wanting more and wanting more people to be on my subscription and just like trying to get my books in as many places as possible. And it's like, It's what a lot of authors fall into is like that trap of wanting more and more and more and getting more readers and wanting to hit big on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever you promote. And so when I was doing that, I was getting away from like the core of my subscription and getting away from leaving those author notes or connecting with readers on a deeper level. And I think that really hurt me. And that's something I'm definitely have started to change and I'm going to change as I move into Rio and move into 2023 is just going back to where I started and focusing on community.
0: I love that. And it is community-based creators who I think in an age of AI and an age of ever increasing technological encroachment slash development will be the ones who make better experiences for readers who make this world a better place. And ultimately they will benefit as a business from that. But because you're doing the right things for the people you care about, my advice would be on a front that I know a lot of people are probably thinking about as you draw your connection map of all your different readers, all your different platforms, there's this pressure as authors to like create an account on every social media platform. So you're like, Oh my God, I have to like promote my subscription in eight different places. How am I going to possibly do this? It's very overwhelming. It has been proven across studies that like sites like Patreon have done who have creators that are across all different disciplines that it is beneficial to regularly remind your fans who are not part of your membership about it that's a good thing so you have to be making these call to actions but now if it's like i have to make a post on my instagram post on my facebook post on my twitter post on my tiktok post on my facebook group post on my newsletter each week you're like i now have a part time job just letting people know that this thing exists yeah, That could be very annoying. So here's my advice to try help you with that. We just told you the secret to subscriptions, which I wish it was the kind of secret that's like, oh yeah, like if you do this, you'll make a million dollars tomorrow, but it doesn't work that way. Sorry. But the secret is building greater relationships with your readers will make your business better regardless, no matter what happens, whether you have a subscription or not. And if you do have a subscription, it is essential to make it work. So my advice would be to try and have one place that you're really connecting with your readers like one place yeah. because when you bring it all into the roof of one area and begin to just try and funnel people into that area it takes a lot of the stress off of like, oh my God, I have notifications on eight different platforms. like you probably will still have readers emailing you. emails a nice thing but pick one other place to actually have your community to actually create content because when you're trying to promote it everywhere, I think it gets very overwhelming. And this is good advice for authors too who haven't begun actually marketing their brands yet, who are just getting into the social media, getting into advertising, getting into publishing. So you have to think as a solopreneur, as a creator, how can I make my life easier? And I think the way that you can make your life easier first is to simplify and realize that you just need one platform, one space to connect your readers, one channel working to have this great funnel into your description, to have this great experience. And I would not try and get too overwhelmed with it all.
1: Yeah, that's very true. It's really it's really it's easy to get overwhelmed with all the platforms and all the new ones popping up and all the cool new things that you can do in your business. But yeah, focusing on one is really important and getting really good at it.
0: It's like, if you want to write, run a Facebook group for dark romance readers, There's, a, there's a lot of people out there who like to read dark romance and who like to write dark romance. You want to create one of the best places for them to be in, not because you can't uplift other authors in the process. This is all a collaborative thing. You could work with other authors to create these spaces, but you do want to create the best space for readers because readers are probably not going to be part of 30 dark romance communities at once. It's probably a lot for people to actively be a part of. And when you think too about engagement, most people who actually are connected to your brand will never let you know. This is the depressing part about it. So when you have people actually let you know they like you, that's really important to keep in touch with that. And it's something like 80 to 90% of people are lurkers. 10% sometimes participate. And 1% to 2% any online community end up like doing like 80% of the interacting, which means that if you have like 1,000 people on your mailing list, to be regularly getting replies from 10 to 20 people is really good. So don't feel like you need 500 responses. Like that's, that's great if you could do that, but that's just not typical. That's more typical. And when thinking about marketing your subscription, the last number I'll give to people, I like to hesitate and not try and set norms, but it's nice to know what can happen. Anywhere from two to 5% of your readership being on your subscription is a success. And that will be a very significant revenue stream for you because two to 5% of your readership paying you three to four times more on average than your typical reader generates you could end up being 20, 30%, 40% of your income for your business as an author, which sounds nice to me. So again, those are just things to think about. Of, Am I doing a good job with this? Do I have 100,000 people on my mailing list and only 10 people on my subscription? Maybe I have a problem. Or do I have 1,000 people on my mailing list and 50 are on my subscription? That's actually, you're, you're up to a great start. And I'm proud of you. Yes. Yeah, th- th- I think that's everything about marketing your subscription. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I
1: don't
0: know if it's everything. But it's a lot.
1: Yeah. It definitely not,
0: not all of it. But if you want more of it, we also will be releasing more episodes in this series. So stay tuned because we have definitely not talked about all different areas of running your description, which is kind of funny, but also kind of cool for all of y'all to be able to listen to. So thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Honestly, I know this one was kind of all over the place, but I was feeling really excited during this one. And I think me and Amelia loved creating it, so I hope you all enjoyed it. If you're looking for more information on how to market your subscription, we actually came out with the subscription starter guide More will be coming out with it in like two or three days. So if you're not on the Subscriptions for Authors mailing list yet, you should you should join it. It'll be linked down in the description. If you sign up there, or if you sign up for the green waitlist, which will also be linked down in the description, you will be sent a free copy of the Subscriptions for Authors starter guide. If you're listening to this in the future, That early access starter guide may or may not be free anymore. I'm not sure. So I hope you're on our mailing list in time. And if you sign up to our mailing list, I think probably before May, you should get the copy for free before it releases out into the actual wild, and the real world. So I encourage you to look at that. Otherwise, I have been kind of tired of hearing me and Amelia's voice because we've done like a lot of solo episodes recently. We have two more solo episodes coming up to end our subscription starter series one of them's going to be about struggles in your description. the other one's going to be just me a short episode i know a short episode coming from me feels paradoxical but it will be short and it'll be of uh, analyzing the top 500 fiction authors descriptions report these episodes will be coming out in the next few days which will be really exciting and then we get back into some amazing interviews we have four awesome interviews coming out in february one with terry bruce one with avan ellis one with steph Pajonas and one with russell nolte which is going to be incredible and then we'll see what march and april brings us <laughs> that's it for this podcast thank you so much for listening and uh, i hope everyone has an amazing rest of their day and in the meantime don't forget storytellers rule the world they do you do